Morning, everybody. Oh, it's good to see you. None of those things were true, just so you know. People are like, this is what we believe now? It's not what we believe now, okay? You got to watch the whole thing. Oh, it's good to see you guys. I wanted to take a minute before we kind of get into the heart of the teaching today to thank you for something. Um, It's been a really long year. If you remember, it was about a year ago that we decided to take two weeks to flatten the curve. Um, And so two weeks has turned into a year, and it's been been difficult. There's been a lot of things that have gone on, and, and I've just been so pleased with your willingness to be pleased. Uh, There's a quote uh, from Ronald Heifetz and Marty Linsky. It says this, leadership is disappointing your own people at a rate they can absorb. (laughs) Uh, We've been having to do a lot of disappointing at a rate we can absorb, right? We've changed from online to in-person, online to in-person, online to in-person. We've had all kinds of, I mean, we had snow a couple weeks ago, so we've had all kinds of stuff. We've had to completely revamp a new building, a new style, a new tech, a new this, a new that. And I think that, you know, Pastor Daniel talked last week and he said that, he talked about the church of the red carpet and the church of the blue carpet, right? The people who, they get so worked up and complain over the smallest things, even changing carpet. You'll notice that's why I didn't put any carpet in the <laughs> church when we did the revamp. No, but the bottom line is, you guys have, have absorbed substantial change. And that's difficult. Change is just difficult. It is. And I've just been so pleased at how well you've handled it. And I just want to thank you because not every church is like that. And not every pastor can say, look at how well our church handled things. Um, And so, you know, thank you. Thank you so much because we got to be a church that's willing to be pleased, right? Yeah. Thank you. And I just, I don't want to let that go by without me saying something and encouraging you because it really is um, a blessing and it shows that God, as he always is, is still working uh, because it would be very easy for us to not be unified. I mean, we went through a lot in the last year, elections and pandemics and blah, 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 filled in the blank. You know, the murder hornets, that could have really been a problem. I haven't seen any of those yet. But meanwhile, you've stayed unified. You don't all agree on everything but you love each other because you have one thing in common, that's Jesus Christ. And I just want to thank you. I want to tell you how much I love you and and how much it means to me. Because while it's been a very stressful year for all of us, it could have been much, much worse. And so uh, you guys are a blessing. I love you. Let's get on to teaching the Bible. Enough of this sappy stuff. All right. (laughs) Daniel 3, we find a uh, piece of history about King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar builds this large golden idol, I think 60 cubits by 60 cubits, which is like cubits like from here to here. And so you're talking, you know, much bigger than where I'm standing in this room. And he basically says, look, we're going to make everybody bow down to this thing. We're going to play some music and get the band going. And when that happens, everybody, everybody is going to bow down and worship this golden statue that I made. Now, if you did not bow down and worship the idol, the rule was, the decree was, that you'd be thrown into a fiery furnace. We get pretty worked up about things like cancel culture, right? This was worse. (laughs) They didn't just, you know, stop following you on Twitter. They threw you into a fiery furnace and burned you alive if you did not do what their culture had said you have to do. But there were three men 
named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men served God. They served the one true God. They served our God. And when the music played, they did not bow down. They would not bow down. Some people in Babylon, in this area, the Chaldeans, didn't like the fact that they were all bowing down to this golden statue, but that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not. So they tattletailed to the king. Hey, these guys aren't doing the thing that you say we have to do. Well, Nebuchadnezzar got really angry because this was his rule, right? He had made this big thing. He was very proud of himself. And so he asked these men if it was true that they wouldn't bow down and worship the idol. This is what they said. This is from Daniel 13, I'm sorry, Daniel 3, verse 15, just the last part of the verse says, this is what Nebuchadnezzar says to them. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? The kind of pride that's there, right? The kind of pride, and you've got to keep this in mind because we're going to go through a lot of stuff, but what Nebuchadnezzar is doing, he's the elite, and he's setting a culture, and he's saying this is how it's got to be, and this is how everybody's got to be. And if you don't do that, there's no help for you. This is what these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is what they answered. This is uh, verses 16 through 18, chapter 3 of Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, that you'll throw us in the furnace, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Now, few of us have been in a position like this, or to this extent, where you had to put up or shut up with your faith. You had to put your life on the line for your faith. These guys couldn't be weak in their faith, okay? You couldn't, they couldn't be weak Christians, weak followers of God. They couldn't be that because their life was on the line here. Do the easy thing. Do the thi- go with the flow. Do what the culture is saying. Just get along and go along and that kind of thing. Or risk your life. They couldn't be weak. They had to know God. They had to know that what they believed about God was right. Because they were betting their lives on him. Betting their lives on God. And they didn't know whether God would allow them to live, whether he would come in and protect them or not. They could have died, but they did trust in eternal life. They did trust that God would never abandon them in the way that it really matters. That kind of faith doesn't come without roots. It does not come without trial. It does not come without suffering. It does not come without trust. You have to trust God. And none of that comes without knowing the scriptures, the word of God. These men would have known the scriptures. They would have followed the scriptures. They would have needed the scriptures. They were in captivity in Babylon. They would have needed it. They were going through a difficult time, and they would have known the word of God. Well, the long and short of it is that when these men of God stood up to Nebuchadnezzar and to everyone else in the culture, um, everyone just said, oh, okay, that's cool. That's not what happened. Nebuchadnezzar was furious. He ordered that furnace to be heated up seven times hotter than it normally is. I don't know if you know, that's very hot, okay? It's very hot. So he takes, yeah, no no touchy. No touchy the hot furnace. It will get you. So he gets his mighty men of valor 
to bind these guys up and to take them and throw them in the furnace. The furnace is so hot that when they throw in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the guys throwing them in die from the flame from the fire. That's how hot it is. Nebuchadnezzar's thinking, that's right, I'll show them. But Nebuchadnezzar took a look inside the furnace and he saw four men instead of three. And they were walking around in the fire, in the middle of the fire, and they were unhurt. And the fourth man, he said, looked like the son of God. Nebuchadnezzar called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fire. They come out, they're perfectly fine. Nothing wrong with them. Their hair wasn't singed nowhere. Their clothes weren't burned at all. And they didn't even smell like fire. In the end, Nebuchadnezzar ends up praising God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego end up getting promoted within the region there. Now, I study this because I want you to understand two things. One, until Jesus comes back, there will always be an idol. There will always be an idol that the culture demands you bow down to. There will never be a time where that's not true. Number two, you will only have the strength to honor God and to refuse to bow down if you are rooted, built up in Christ, and established in the faith. When the time comes where you're really forced, you will not be able to withstand unless you are rooted, built up in Christ, and established in the faith. Listen to this, Colossians 2, 4 through 8. Now, this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now, listen to this. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware. It's a warning. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. They knew then, Paul knew then, that there would always be those who would try to use the philosophies of the world that was an empty deceit. So the only way to be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith is to know your faith. You have to know it. You got to know the Lord. You got to know the doctrine. And you got to live it out. Now, doctrine sounds like a fancy word. It just means teaching. It just means teaching. You got to know the teachings. You got to know the teachings. The doctrine of Jesus Christ is what he has taught us through the scriptures. All the scriptures are about Jesus. All the scriptures are the doctrine that have taught us what we need to know as Christ followers. If you are not built up in the doctrine, because we get built up in a lot of things in church, okay? And all of them are good. Most of them are good. We hang out together, fellowship, right? Breaking of bread, prayers. We, we, we do all kinds of stuff. We don't have many potlucks at this church. I'm trying to, potlucks have been, you know, causing me some issues. So we're trying to cut back on that. But, but we do a lot, of, a lot of getting together, a lot of stuff. And we come in, we listen to sermons and, and so on. But I'm talking specifically about the doctrine, the teaching. The teaching. If you're not built up in Jesus, in his doctrine, you will have nothing to hold on to in the dark. Ian Harbour wrote this. He said, one of my teachers said, we do theology in the light. Theology, learning about God. 
okay? Learning the scriptures and so on. We do theology in the light so we can stand on it in the dark. This is what we have to do. We have to work. We have to study to know the scriptures, to know the doctrine of God. If we do not study and work hard in the light so that we're built up, rooted, grounded, established in it, then when the dark comes, we'll have nothing to hold on to. We'll have nothing to stand on. We'll be swept away. When the time comes and the furnace is hot, seven times hot, we need to be able to shout, I will never bow down to anyone but Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. You have to be able to do that. And you won't just do it because you think you'll do it. It's very easy sitting here among other believers in this place to say, absolutely, I would do that. But when it comes down to it, I promise, when you start to pee a little, because it's, it's scary, right? When you start to think about what you might be losing, if you are not grounded, rooted, built up, established, you don't know the word, you're not living on it, you're not just eating it up, it's not inside you, you will not be able to withstand the fiery furnace. So, in order to do that, we have to become more serious about Jesus Christ than we have ever been. As a church, as a church worldwide, as a people in Acts Church, more serious about Jesus than we've ever been before. We have to have Jesus be the focus and the center of our lives, not just a part of our lives. This is the problem. This is a huge problem. We're going to get into this, Lord willing, later on. But there is this issue where what we do is we go, I've got school or work, got my wife, my husband, got my kids, got the bowling league, got the thing, got this, got that, and got Jesus. Like he's in the list. Jesus is the list. Everything else flows from Jesus being central. It's got to be central. He's got to be central. If he's not central and everything else is just a blessing that comes out from that, then he's just one of the things. Meaning when you're doing those other things, he's not involved. We got to get serious. We got to be disciples. We have to become disciples. Disciple learns. Disciples learn from their master. We need to be real, devoted followers and disciples of Jesus Christ. Joe Carter writes this in response to the trend that people are seeing of Christians who are not rooted in the doctrine of the word of God. This is what he says. While we, he's talking about the church, have mastered the task of making converts, we are by and large failing, as Stetzer says, in our duty of making disciples. Teaching the basic doctrines of the faith is not an optional task. It's not a project that we can undertake if we have time left over from all the other things we're doing. It's a matter of eternal consequence. He says, we no longer have the luxury of ignoring our responsibility to provide this desperately needed doctrinal instruction. We will either start making Christian disciples or our culture will continue to make deists who have a fondness for Jesus. People who believe there's a God out there somewhere and they kind of think Jesus is cool. That's not saving faith. But that's what we'll create if we don't root people in the doctrine, in the scriptures. So this series is called White Lies. And it's a defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we need to hold very dear. Every age has its false teachers. Usually, if you've done some work in history and the history of philosophy, what you'll find is they're the same false teachers. 
It's the same nonsense. What happens is it comes up, the church goes, okay. And they go, okay, that doesn't work. So we get a little while where something else comes up. And, so on. and then this, that one comes back again. And then it comes back again. And so the things we're seeing, there's nothing new under the sun. They're old heresies in new clothes. But every age has its false teachers, has its false philosophies, has its wolves in sheep's clothing that come into the church and teach doctrines of demons, things that are evil, and try to carry people away with that. Every church has its golden idols, or every culture has its golden idols. Hopefully not every church. <laughs> every culture has its golden idols that you have to bow down to if you want to be part of the crew part of the club, one of the cool guys. Lord willing, we're going to walk through the false philosophies that so many people in our culture are now running to over the course of this series. And we're going to find out that some of these philosophies, and this is the tough part for us, are not just believed by other people. Some of them or some parts of them are probably believed by us. We've bought into them. It's the kind of thing you catch like a cold. It's more contagious than a virus, and you can't wear a mask to avoid it. It just creeps in. It just creeps in. And so what we got to do as Paul instructed the young Timothy. This is what he said. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, the teaching. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Knowing and being rooted in biblical doctrine is not just the calling of pastors and elders. Now that's for them. They've got to know that stuff. They got, and it's true. They better know that stuff, right? Because they're teachers and they're called to a higher account. But it is the calling of every believer to know the doctrine. Every believer in Jesus Christ, every follower of him, from the beginning of Christ's church, this has been a fundamental. Listen to Acts 2.42. This is the very beginning of the church. This is like day one stuff. And they continued steadfastly. Lose this? No, good. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. In the apostles' doctrine, it's the first thing they list. Steadfastly continuing in that. Paul himself not only suffered for the gospel, but defended it. Listen to this, Philippians 1, 6-7. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. Just as it is right for me to think this of all of you, because I have you in my heart, also can be translated, you have me in your heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. This was part of Paul's job. The defense and confirmation of the gospel. You are all partakers with me of grace. Praise God. This is how we should all live. This is how we should all live. Know the gospel. Know the doctrine. Defend the gospel, defend the doctrine, defend the scripture, and live it out in love. Now, there are a couple things I want to be clear about. We're going to be studying and refuting, and I like to refute. It's just one of those things I like to do. The false philosophies of the world and some that have crept into the church. But as we ought with all things, we're going to do this with love. We're going to do it with love. Colossians 4, 5 through 6 says this. It says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. I'm not looking. We're not looking as a church to 
dog on anyone, to be harsh to anyone. We should not be angry. We should not be harsh. We should be loving towards those who have doubts. And let me just tell you something. Jesus was not angry with Thomas when he doubted. He was very loving towards him. As a result, Thomas lost his doubts because he believed. If you are a person who doubts and you're here, you're listening online, whatever it is, come talk to me. You're not going to get harshness from me because you have doubts. Let's talk them through. I don't want anyone to feel like as I go through and I'm refuting things that that means that I'm angry or I'm harsh towards anybody. But we do have to do the work. We do have to do the work, and we will be studying the truth. And let me just tell you something about truth. There are no compromises. There are no compromises. There is no other way to look at it. We are not going to be studying about disputed matters, okay? What I'd call left-hand doctrines, gray areas, things like that, where different believers can believe different things about that. That's not what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about the doctrine, matters of doctrine that are essential and central to the faith, to your faith in Jesus Christ. So let me just say up front, we will not be agreeing to disagree. If you reject the fundamental truths of the Bible, we just plain disagree. Okay? I'm just going to tell you, if you disagree with the Bible, you're wrong and the Bible's right. I know our 2021 years are like, oh, you can't, shh, you can't say that. Can't say that. Yes, I can. I just did. And it's on video. Here's why I'm saying it, though. As we walk through this, you'll see that one of the things that has happened to cause some of these bad philosophies has been attempts to compromise the truth of the, of the gospel, the truth of the scripture, so to get along, to find somewhere, well, I don't want to bow to the idol, but maybe if I just, you know, had a moment of silence there for the idol, whatever it happens to be, right? And th that kind of mindset has caused many people to compromise on these issues, and it has led people to begin to shipwreck their faith. And many have suffered with that. Now, we're not going to study every false philosophy as we go through this series. We're not going to study every false philosophy, false religion in the world. We don't have time for that. We're going to concentrate on those things that I think are making the most noise in our culture right now. The things that you are the most likely to be brought away with, or your children, or your friends, or your parents, or whoever are more likely to kind of start buying into. Those are the things that we're going to talk about. We've done several series on what's called apologetics. Apologetics is the defense of the faith, okay? We've done several series. We call them our skeptics series. You can find them on our website or on the app or on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. You can find all that stuff. And really, those are about dealing with like the basics of belief in Christ, belief in God, who God is, and so on, kind of more to the atheist or the agnostic. If you want to look at those, you can look at that. That's not what this is. It's not a study primarily aimed at the atheist or the general unbeliever. In fact, that is a very small group of people. They're very loud, sometimes obnoxious. Then again, so am I sometimes. But they're not very large. This is to a much larger group that we're dealing with. In fact, much of what we will be studying will be false teachings from people who call themselves Christians, who would say they're Christians, but teach a false gospel. Now, for this introduction message, I'm just really wanting to focus on a couple things. We're not going to be here too long. A couple of things. One is what we've been talking about, why it's important to defend the faith, why it's, impossible, why it's so important for you to know the doctrine. 
And I'm going to tell you a few of the things that we're going to be studying, just give you a quick overview. And so let me tell you just a few of the things that we're going to be studying. The first one in the list of false philosophies is called general apathy. It's just what I'm calling it, general apathy towards faith. And, and, and what I mean by that is that there are a lot of people right now who are rejecting the idea of faith altogether. It's not an atheism. It's more like a rejection of what they would call, I don't know, organized religion, to which they should understand it's not that organized. But they sort of reject that, right? Um, it's a fast-growing group in our culture that sociologists get all worked up about. They're called the nuns, not N-U-N like the Catholics, nuns like N-O-N-E-S. They have none. They have no particular religious belief. It'd be one thing if they were atheists, but often they're not. And so that skeptic stuff isn't really for them. They're far more apathetic than atheists, okay? Um, nuns fall into a number of the categories that we'll sort of discuss as we discuss other things. But one of the things they fall into is that I just believe they're apathetic. They don't care. They don't see the big questions about God, about heaven, about hell, about sin, about redemption, about Jesus Christ. They just don't see them as important. They're just not, they just don't care. It's not like, oh, I reject all that. They might say, yeah, Jesus is real, or he rose from the dead, or whatever, and they don't care. They're apathetic. And they've become to believe that none of it really matters enough to get worked up about. That's a concern. Apathy is a grave mistake, and apparently a very contagious one. Because it seems like I see it more and more and more, where you might go to your friend and say, hey, would you like to come to church? And they'd be like, eh, not as much, no, church is the worst, and church people are bad people, or whatever, just, eh, who cares? You believe what you want to believe, who cares, right? We're going to study something, this is really interesting stuff, that some sociologists called Christian Smith and Melinda Lundquist Denton call moralistic therapeutic deism. Write that one down. This is the philosophy that seems to describe, it sounds really fancy, but it's really simple. It's a philosophy that seems to describe many Christians and other people, and, and basically believes this. This is what the authors describe the basic beliefs of moralistic therapeutic deism as. A God exists who created the world and orders it and kind of watches over it from like heaven watching down, right? This is what God wants. He wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and they believe most other religions also teach all the same things. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to solve a problem. I think all of us can fall into that sometimes. You know, sometimes you, you lost your keys. And about 30 minutes later, you're like, maybe I should pray about this. Right? They also believe that good people go to heaven when they die. Moralistic therapeutic deism, and we'll get more into it, but it's a philosophy that seems prevalent in our culture, and it is just riddled with problems that are against the Bible and against the doctrine that Jesus Christ taught us. We're also going to, this is going to be more complicated and may take more than one message. We're going to tackle the issue of progressive Christianity. Now, when I say progressive Christianity, this, this term has nothing to do with progressive politics or political progressivism or whatever. That's not what this is about. This is a reference to kind of a broad group. It's kind of a spectrum of people. They have some different beliefs, but they tend to fall in a spectrum of certain things, right? And they call themselves Christians, but they believe a bunch of stuff that's just contrary to the Bible. This is becoming very popular. 
especially among kind of younger, you know, I would say from my age, you know, to 20 years on either side of my age is probably where this is coming. People who are older are too smart for this kind of nonsense, but, but the younger folks are starting to believe in this. It's a false gospel, which means that instead of good news, it's bad news. It's bad news. And so we're going to talk about that. And progressive Christianity is related to another cultural kind of uh, influence that's going around called deconstructionism. Now, I don't want to go deep into this. Being a philosophy major, I could go back to Derrida and deconstruction and all this stuff that it doesn't matter. Let me explain to you what does matter. Some people, and quite a few famous people who are Christians or were kind of Christians, many of whom were in the church their whole lives, and seem to have biblical beliefs prior to this, have started to deconstruct their faith. They've deconstructed, so they start picking it apart. They lay it out, and they start saying, well, I don't know if I believe this, I don't know if I believe this, I don't know if I believe this. Many of these have gone into progressive Christianity, which is like Christianity light. It's kind of like this uh, moralistic therapeutic deism, but there's so many other problems with it. Some of them have gone into agnosticism or just atheism. They've just left the faith. And if you guys have been paying attention to your Instagram feed lately, um, you may have seen uh, uh, several uh, Christian, the guy who wrote uh, I Kissed Dating Goodbye back in the day. Uh, he was a pastor of a mega church. He's deconstructed. Rob Bell is kind of a famous progressive Christian that's sort of deconstructed. The worst for me, if you've ever seen Good Mythical Morning, Rhett and Link, um, many of you don't look like you know who they are. Fine. Get YouTube, people. Um, anyway, they like eat really hot peppers, and that's funny. Anyway, these guys have famously deconstructed their faith. They were pretty strong Christians and are now floating in the wind somewhere. So deconstruction has been this kind of big move. So we're going to talk about that because deconstruction is a path to either progressive Christianity or agnosticism or atheism or some other thing, and, and it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Lord willing, we will also study legalistic Christianity. And that's the only term I could come up with it because it kind of captures a lot of different subcultures within Christianity. It's more a, a way you approach it than it is a particular like denomination or something. But this form of Christianity is on the other side of progressive Christianity. Think of progressive Christianity as kind of the Sadducees, the rich, the elite. They don't believe in the resurrection. They don't really believe in miracles. They don't really believe in any of that kind of stuff. They're kind of rich and powerful. Uh, not, not maybe really liked by the common people, but they're, they're really popular among the elite, okay? Progressive Christianity. Then the other side, you have Pharisaism, legalistic Christianity, where the rules are what matters. Who you are, what you do, and so on. It's more popular, more, more of a popular movement than the other one is, because the other one's more elite, but it is just as dangerous. And it destroys the truth of the gospel because it really, it really comes down to it's what you do, not what's been done for you. It's not the grace of Jesus Christ, but it's that plus fill in the blank. And so we're going to hopefully be able to talk about that and how legalistic Christianity misses the mercy and the grace of God. If we have time and the Holy Spirit leads, we will also study the prosperity gospel, which is lots of fun. Um, another just bad, false gospel. That's bad news, ultimately. If we get to it, you'll get to see some of that. If you don't know what that is, um, just think the guys that say, you know, send me 10 bucks and I'll send you a prayer cloth that will make you rich, that type of thing. 
I'd be selling it for a lot more than 10 bucks if I had, you know, <laughs> if I really believed it was doing that. Uh, so as you probably observed as I went through this list, many of these that we're going to talk about are actually Christians who are proclaiming and putting these things out here, people who would name themselves Christians. We do not only defend the faith and the gospel and the doctrine and the teaching from without against the unbeliever, against another religion, against whatever. We also often defend it from within. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. There are people who come inside the church and twist the scriptures. In a letter inspired by the Holy Spirit from Paul to Timothy, Paul writes this. This is, this is important to this series. This is 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching, for the time will come when, listen, they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. That's part of the deal here. If you're going to do it right, you're going to know the doctrine, you're going to teach the doctrine, you're going to endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. If you are not yet convinced how important it is that you know the scriptures, that you know the doctrine, that you know the teaching, I want to encourage and exhort you and me in this. All Christ followers, all Christ followers need to get absolutely serious about becoming fully devoted disciples of Christ, meaning that you know the scripture. You go after the teaching. He becomes the center of your life. You live it out. It cannot be a Sunday faith, and that's it. We all need to be able to articulate our faith. When someone asks us what we believe, we should be able to explain it to them clearly and fully. Here's the thing. These sociologists that I talked about earlier with the moralistic therapeutic deism thing, they interviewed a lot of people. It was teenagers. This was back in uh, 2000, 2005. This huge, huge survey, all these teenagers. And they, would, they took 200 and something of them, and they'd go talk to them, okay? And they were of different faiths, but a lot of them were, you know, Protestant, conservative, whatever, kind of what you are. And very few of them, when asked what they believed, could articulate what they believed. Would even use the name of Jesus. Kind of like, yeah, God and all that stuff, or God and Jesus and that kind of stuff. It's like, well, what, but what do you believe? And they couldn't say it. We need to ask ourselves if we could articulate clearly what we believe if we were asked. Are we ready to give a defense for the hope that lies within? Because if we're not, then we're not grounded and rooted in the scriptures, in the doctrine, in the teaching. I do not want there to be one person at Acts Church, I'm talking from little to not as little, who cannot articulate their faith, who could not explain the gospel just like that to anyone, who could not explain what they believe. We're all responsible for that. We're all responsible for that. Now, I was going to bring a $100 bill in, but I can't afford that. So let's just assume that I'm holding one, okay? Here's a $100 bill. All right. Or is it? How would we know if I was holding a real $100 bill or not? How would we know if, if something was a forgery? You know it by knowing 
what the real one looks like, right? If you know so well what a real $100 bill looks like, you know when you see the forgery. Now, I don't know that well. I've seen very few of them in my life. But you probably all have seen them. And if you send me one in, I'll send you a prayer cloth. It'll make you rich. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Let's make it two. Let's make it two. You know a forgery by knowing the truth, period. By knowing the real thing so well that you can spot the fake. How do you know false doctrine? Same way. You know false doctrine by knowing the truth. How do you build yourself up against false doctrine? Know the true doctrine. If you're not built up in it, look, you are just a target for some nonsense to come in and sweep you away. And before you know it, you're not believing the real word. You're believing some other thing. You're becoming a moralistic, therapeutic deist or a progressive Christian or believing in the prosperity, health, and wealth gospel or some other thing because you didn't know the doctrine well. You got to know the doctrine. If you don't build yourself up, you will be carried off. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Romans tells us, right? Romans 12. Now, you're not going to get the truth from the world. You're not going to get good doctrine from the world. Don't look for it there. You won't find it. You're only going to get the truth from God the Father, His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit through the Scriptures that they've given us. He's given us the Scriptures. You'll get it from knowing the Word. You'll get it from listening to the teaching here at Acts Church. Lord willing, and with the power of the Holy Spirit, that you might learn it here. Attend to it closely. It's important. You'll get it by study and by hard work. Nothing comes without that, without the study and without the hard work. If you think that you're going to be grounded and rooted in the doctrine without doing any work, then you're not using the same mind that you would use towards anything. Even an unbeliever knows that marriage takes hard work. Go ask anybody, any unbeliever who's been married for more than a minute. And they're going to tell you marriage is hard work. It's hard work, right? The unbelievers know that. Now, if some husband came to me and said, look, Pastor David, I cannot understand it. I don't feel close to my wife. I don't feel like I know her well. Things aren't going well. I'm like, well, what's the relationship like? He's like, well, you know, usually I give her one or two hours on a Sunday morning. I'm going to know what the problem is, right? I'm going to know what the problem is. You stuck a ring on and you gave a little time, but you didn't put the work in. You want to know her? Get to work. Following Christ is greater than marriage. It's becoming a disciple of the one true God. It's learning who he is and what he has said in his word. How could we not want to work? If we're willing to work hard for marriage, shoot, we're willing to work hard to catch a fish. For any of you that have done that, that's hard. Or catch a football. Or whatever it is. Can we be willing to work hard for our king? We need to be. You cannot do that halfway. Can't do marriage halfway. Can't do anything halfway. You can't just expect that a deep, abiding, rooted, grounded, established relationship in Christ is going to come from one or two hours on a Sunday morning. It's part of it. Don't be like, well, I don't need to come to church anymore. It is important, but it's not enough. It's not enough. Following Christ is a lifelong, life-full, full-time calling. 
It's hard work. Oh, it's worth it. I couldn't stand here if I wasn't rooted and grounded in him because I just don't have it in me. I don't have the strength. I wouldn't be able to deal with it. I've got all kinds of issues. I've got anxiety disorders. I've got things that go on in my life. I've got troubles and whatever, and I've got to come up here, and I could never do it if the Lord wasn't strengthening me. And that would never happen if I wasn't rooted and grounded and established in him, and every day more so. There's a wall of books out there. Why is that there? Because study is important. The one in the middle is a big Bible, because that's the most important one to study. And I know, like reading through the Bible in a year, and all, that is awesome. That is great. You want to get it in you. But studying the word, studying the doctrine, having good teachers teach you the doctrine, that has to happen. Or you will be like the people who we're going to be talking about who have gone far off from the truth. We'll study the false doctrines, Lord willing. But let me just tell you, more will come. The longer the Lord tarries, the more false doctrines will come. The more golden idols will be put up that you'll be asked to bow down to, and the more chances you're going to have to have to face that fiery furnace. And if you don't know the doctrine, you won't be able to stand. And I don't want any of us to ever bow down to anyone but Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. A, be, a good defense, in this case, is a good offense. And a good offense is knowing the doctrine. It's knowing the word. Just like Timothy was exhorted, each of us should be exhorted. 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. How do you rightly divide the word of truth? Practice, study, work, Go to the end times class. Get some teaching. Be here on Sunday morning. Don't miss. If you do miss, get online. It's all sitting right there for you. We have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of teachings that are available to you at any time that are solid. If you have questions, email Susan. <laughs> and you can make an appointment with me through her. I'm just saying. Start with her. Let's talk about it. Let's work it. Let's be excited about it. Let's be like David who just loved the word of God. He loved his law. I mean, you're learning the law. I mean, the law of the universe. I mean, who God is. I mean, what flows from who he is. The more you know it, the more exciting it gets. Have you ever had that time? Maybe you were in a math class. My wife teaches math. So does Julie back. The math teachers are in the back. <laughs> when you have that time and it's like, I do not get this. I do not, which is all the time for me. I did not get this. What are all these numbers? Give me words. But finally, you'd be like, see, it goes like this. Ta-ta-ta. And I'd be like, oh. And you have that moment, like light goes on. Great with math. Unbelievable with scripture. Those are exciting moments. You saw Pastor David Pierce like, oh, we learned something new. We're gonna... He was very excited, right? Because it is exciting. It's exciting to learn the word of God. Because in it, you have security. In it, you have security. In it, when you do your study in the light, you can hold on to it in the dark. You can stand on it in the dark when the difficult things come. It's like Jesus talking about building your house on the rock. It's like Jesus talking about abiding in him. This is all part of that. This is all part of that. So I see it from the very beginning of the church, right? Steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, right? Breaking of bread, prayers, all of that. All of that's good. 
but the apostles' doctrine has to come first or that other stuff doesn't have much meaning. You want to understand the depth of what it means when we take communion together, when we baptize someone? You want to understand the depth of what it means that Jesus is coming back for you? Of eternal life? Of redemption? Truly understanding what redemption is? In this broken world, you want to understand that you got to know the doctrine. you got to know the doctrine. I want to go through this series, and I want us to be ready for these ones that we can hit right now. But more importantly than that, I want you to be so trained that you could do this series for whatever the new white lies are that come up because you're so grounded in the doctrine. Let's all strive to know God more by knowing his word, his teachings, the doctrine. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that while we go through a series that isn't really about encouraging um, us to, you know, be better at something or self-helpy or anything like that, Lord. Instead, it's just learning, growing. I pray that you would help us to learn and to grow and to know the doctrine, to know the teaching, to know everything that you want us to know. Lord, give us, I'm, I'm lazy sometimes, Lord. Okay, I'm lazy a lot of times. Help me not to be. Help this church not to be. Help us to take seriously the study. Wherever we are in whatever capacity you've given us, I only have so much capacity for math. Some people are only going to have so much capacity for learning the scripture, but Lord, I pray you would increase it and grow it, expand our territory. That we might know it so that we can be the ones that when somebody is in the dark and they need something to hold on to, they can walk in these doors and find hundreds of people grounded, rooted, built up, established in your word. That we can help them. That you can help them through us. God, keep us from the lies of the enemy. Satan wants to destroy us. We will not be destroyed. We will not bow down. The culture wants us to bow down to their idols. Believe this, say this, you can't say that. Lord, let us know what really we shouldn't say and what really we should say. And listen to you, not to men. And to have the strength to do that, not because we're pugnacious and angry and difficult, but because we know the scripture and we do it all in love. Lord, help the love flow from this place that those who despise you and who hate you can't say anything against us because we live a life of purity, of holiness, and of love. And we get that from knowing the scriptures. God, help us to know the scriptures. Love you, Lord Jesus. Be with us this week. Be with everyone who's sick. Be with Lori Roy, who's struggling with the virus, having breathing problems. Lord, we pray you be with her, with so many others who are struggling with different things. God, there's always difficulties in this fallen world. I pray you be with us. Pray you'd grow us. Pray you'd be with Lindsay and the surgery she's about to have with my mom and the hip replacement she's about to have. And so many others, Lord, I can't start listing things will be here all day. But I could also list praises and be here all day. And I thank you for that. I praise you that we got to hear your word today, that we get to sing together today, that we get to be together today. God, you're good. I praise you for the four days that are forecasted to be good weather this week. I'll take it. Jesus, I love you. Let us all love you. Let us all serve you in the power of your Holy Spirit. In your name, amen.